this evening we'll be entering into prayer uh, regarding a couple of passages of the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, when I was looking at these preparing this year, I thought it would be good above all to look at how we come together as disciples of Christ. And we have things such as Pentecost, we have the conversion of St. Paul, we have various other things of that nature that show us how we draw close to Christ our Lord and by drawing to him, we draw to one another. And so that's basically the theme of uh, this year is how we can be stewards of the community of Christians, which uh, is entrusted to each one of us in our own different ways. And so I thought it would be important to stress a lot the Acts of the Apostles. It is very important. It is uh, the initial burst of energy of the grace of the Lord in this world right after the resurrection and the ascension as the gospel ends. So the gospel of Luke ends with the, the Lord returning to the heavenly father. We then begin at the Acts of the Apostles and we move from Jerusalem on to the ends of the earth to the, the capital of the empire. And we see in the Acts of the Apostles much that is a model for each one of us. I know the pastoral plan of this archdiocese basically is based upon the Acts of the Apostles. Care for the gathered, like those gathered around in the cenacle, receiving the Holy Spirit. But then as on Pentecost, reach out to the scattered, to all those people with those very strange and mysterious names which are heard of in the reading of, uh, of Pentecost Sunday. We must care for the gathered, reach out to the scattered, and do so boldly with energy and joy. And that is what we see in the, when we read the Acts of the Apostles of the first impact of the resurrection of the Lord and the way in which the Holy Spirit was sent upon the Christians. But it's not an ideal kind of a thing, a, you might say a kind of a, a, a Christian community which is, everything is just roses and everything is, there's some thorns in the, on the rose bushes. And that's uh, good to know. Just as I mentioned uh, the last time, that uh, although we have the great and glorious ascension of the Lord, the very first order of business on the to-do list of the, the church was to replace a corrupt apostle. Um, that's been there from day one. So too, in the Acts of the Apostles, although we, uh, we hear of the beautiful actions of the Lord in the midst of his people, and they give us a model of how we can be a parish, a diocese, the whole church, individual Christians, we also see woven into that pride, anger, envy, greed, laziness, lust, gluttony. They're always there. They're just a short step away because they are the challenges we face within our own heart. And so we see in the readings chosen this evening, we'll do a little bit of the beauty in chapter, uh, chapter two of the Acts of the Apostles right after the initial preaching, we have this wonderful vision of what we should be as a community. Then I'll skip over a chapter to, to another vision sort of repeated of the beauty of the community uh, and the wonders and joys of being a disciple of the Lord, what our, our world should be. And then immediately we have Ananias and Sapphira ripping off the church and lying to the apostles and we're back into the reason the Lord gave us the sacrament of reconciliation. Remember, they always say, if you're going to lose your umbrella, don't do it in a Catholic church because it's going to be stolen. So there we are. Uh, it's the reality we face. Uh, you know, St. Peter's in Rome, 
Pope blasting the crowds, pickpockets working the crowds. It's um, the way we, it's the struggle, the eternal struggle. So we have that, but rather than be so depressed as to end off with the dead bodies being taken off um, uh, one after another, it's a rather uh, challenging thing. I'll go a line or two extra. Uh, to end off with, again, back we come to the glory of the Lord. I'm also going to start one line earlier uh, than is in your handout, um, because I realized that the passage uh, beginning in chapter 4, verse 43 of Acts 2 is probably, it should really include the line just before it. So I'll, you'll see if, at the beginning and at the end, I'll stitch on some extra uh, passages for which there is no extra charge at all. <laughs> and so now let us enter into a spirit of prayer in this divine reading of the word of God, particularly in the Acts of the Apostles. In the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us that we may be more and more faithful, bold, courageous, and joyful disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's get rid of in our hearts all those things that weigh us down, the sins which are such a burden, which are a barrier that blocks the pathway to our heart, so the Lord is blocked from coming to us. And after Peter had spoken, the people were cut to the heart and they asked, what can we do? How can we respond? And he called on them to repent, to be baptized. So there were received, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they held steadfastly to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And now the company of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not anyone needy among them, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was surnamed by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field which belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, 
Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And a great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high honor. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. And so people came to join the community, 3,000, and they held steadfastly to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. And those are still the things which hold us together as we come. They held to the apostles' teaching. We need to know where we're going. And that teaching came from the ones who are apostles, sent out from the Lord. That's what apostle means. We need to have a clarity of vision. Just as when St. Paul had his great experience of the Lord on the road to Damascus, one of the first things he did was to go and check with the apostles to be sure that he wasn't preaching Paul, but was preaching Christ. And so they came together, they held steadfastly to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They were together. We don't simply go to the Lord one by one, but in fellowship. We're not a bunch of canoes adrift on the Atlantic. We're part of a mighty fleet. We're part of the body of Christ, each part joined together. We are one body, one body in Christ. We have a fellowship, a union. That's why we go to mass on Sunday, if we're able to, if we're not sick or something like that, because we are a fellowship. The Lord sent about two by two. He called the 12 apostles. He sent the Holy Spirit upon a community. The community for us is not an optional thing. It's not sort of a thing that makes us more effective in organization. It's part of who we are, a fellowship. It is based not upon some organizational chart, but upon the very life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The very heart of God is fellowship. And so this is profoundly important to us. And this is so important and central in our life as Christians. It's not just our personal relationship with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's important. But that comes within the context of the teaching of the apostles and the fellowship to the breaking of the bread, the Eucharist, and to the prayers. We pray together. 
as we just did now, not with the breaking of the bread in terms of the Eucharist, just now with the divine office. And the divine office has been prayed down through the centuries, way, way back. In fact, it comes to, it goes right back to the Jewish prayers. There's a whole time in the beginning, the middle, the end of the day, when the Jewish people pray, for the Muslims do as well. They have different groups pray at different times in the day. So coming together for prayer, or even if one's praying the divine office, if one is, is uh, off somewhere alone with the bravery, we're still part of the fellowship of prayer. We're together because we never are alone if we are baptized. And so those who came to the Lord and came through the power of the Holy Spirit held steadfastly to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. Are those the marks of our own life in Christ, in our own personal life, in our parish, in our diocese? The fellowship, the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, the Eucharist, and the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. That seems very strange, fear. And yet it is one of the gifts we speak of, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fear of the Lord, or is now called wonder and awe in his presence. But it is a profound awareness of the majesty of God. And how can we be conscious of the closeness of God if we're not conscious first of the majesty of God? In fear and trembling, we come before the Lord, not a fear of an enemy or a fear of someone who will harm us, but awe and wonder. The glory of the Lord, that's what brings us to that. And I think maybe in our life of prayer, we can go to extremes. Sometimes we stress a lot the majesty of the Lord, other times the intimacy, the closeness. I think maybe the, the pendulum has gone a lot to the closeness lately. We can sometimes forget that the Lord God Almighty is not our buddy. My Lord and my God. I think perhaps we need to be conscious of this, especially in the celebration of the greatest of all the sacraments, the breaking of the bread, the Eucharist. Fear and trembling, awe and wonder at the reality of what happens every time we celebrate the Holy Eucharist. And that's why when we have people spend time before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, here we have the light and we have something glorious to remind us in a tiny human way of the majesty of God, of the glory of the Lord. Only if we're conscious of that can we be amazed even more that he who is so majestic has come so close to us in the little babe at Bethlehem, and in the way he comes to us in Holy Communion. He's with us every step of the way. But the one who is with us every step of the way is my Lord and my God. And so fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. May we have a sense of awe in the presence of the Lord God.
and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. We call this share life in our diocese. It's the sharing of, with others. This is what is known as stewardship, caring for other people, realizing that what we have, we do not own any more than Adam and Eve owned the Garden of Eden. We're simply stewards of the gifts given to us, our time, our talent, our treasure, everything. And so they just sold them. They realized that this is not for my own clinging to, we'll see later on, Ananias and Sapphira clinging. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody was doing this because St. Peter says to Ananias, you could have kept it back. You're perfectly free to do that. So, but many did share. Those who believed were together, had things in common. And of course, down through history, we have monastic communities where this can be done very, very effectively, sharing all things in common. But in our own daily life, we need to have that spirit of sharing, not to cling, but to share. When we reach out, we're like that. We are like living. We're like the Blessed Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, reaching outward in generous love. The more we do that, the more we are divine. The more we cling, the more we sink into our own ego. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. This expression in the, in the Greek is commonly used in Greek literature for friendship. It is said of friends, they have all things in common. And that's, that's very real. We share with those we love, those who are our friends, those who are close, all things in common. What is yours is mine. And that's the kind of spirit that should be in our Catholic Christian communities, that sense of fellowship, a sense of friendship with one another because we are disciples of the Lord. When that doesn't happen, then we all get, we like sheep go astray. It's like Handel does in his, in the Messiah. He starts breaking up the music and our whole thing becomes discordant, harsh, bitter, greedy. And that's not the way we are to be. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. May we be that way in our lives, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. May we be good stewards of the time, the talents, not just physical things, and whatever treasure we are given, and not cling, not build extra barns. Remember what the Lord said about that. You build an extra barn. You fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. And what's the use of that? They always say shrouds don't have pockets in them. We can't take it with us. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food and glad, with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Day by day, day by day, attending the temple together, they were still seeing themselves as 
part of the Jewish community who had now believed in Christ. And the place they went, just as the Lord himself went, was to the outer courts. It isn't the Holy of Holies, it's the, the place where people gathered in Jerusalem. The breaking of the bread in their homes, but the Eucharist they celebrated in their house churches. And they continued to do so for several hundred years until they could build churches like this. And then they celebrated in churches like this. But originally it was in the homes. We still do that sometimes for special reasons. They partook of food with glad and generous hearts. Wouldn't that be a nice thing to have on one's tombstone? He or she had a glad and generous heart. That'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it? That's, wouldn't it be nice, be good? Not just nice, nice means nothing. It'd be good to be known as someone with a glad and generous heart. Not grumpy, not stingy, not meh. Not a, although my favorite cartoon character is Mr. Burns in The Simpsons, I do admit to that. Excellent, excellent, let loose the hounds, you know. Uh, but nonetheless, that's not a model for life. It's more a model of how not to live, but it's done so well. There's a recent thing I saw, I think, just when I'm dealing with some political correctness. There's a great thing, and Mr. Simpson goes to Princeton, or uh, Mr. Burns goes to Princeton to, to give a bunch of uh, some money there. Anyway, I refer you to that, it's very funny. But that attitude is not, however, what we need to have. Like that, we need the opposite of that. They had glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. If we lived this way, see how these Christians love one another? That's uh, what people said. And then they came, they came to see, what is it? Why do they die for Christ? The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. And why do they love one another? Especially when loving one another is, uh, we're dealing with people we know, and therefore we can have a lot of, uh, you know, tension and friction and so on. It's easy to love someone far away, not someone you live with day by day. We can get a lot of, you know, tension. So they were filled with generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. If people see that in us, in our parishes, and the welcome we offer, not an artificial welcome, but one that is based on Christ, our Lord, on prayer, the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship that's modeled on the Trinity, that glad and generous spirit, that, those glad and generous hearts, that people who drift away into a world which is so, so secularized, so artificial, so alienated, so many people, lonely, so many lonely people, where do they all come from? Even more now in these days of the kind of drying out of the human person that comes through computers and modern technology, there's a yearning, as there should be, for humanity, for glad and generous hearts. And so should our communities be like this one. It's not an ideal on the shelf somewhere up there. It's what we should be like every single day. And if we are, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And now the company of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had everything in common. This is repeated now about a chapter later. One heart and soul, everything in common. These are the two marks of friendship 
in the ancient Greek tradition. One heart and soul, everything in common. In the Feast of St. Basil the Great, his friend Gregory speaks of how they were together, these two good friends, university students. He said, you know, usually people who are highly academic are fighting one another to get better than one another. And he said, uh, Basil and I were, were fighting one another to give honor to the other. One heart and one soul, everything in common. That's the way we should live. No jealousy in that, or anger, or the pettiness that can destroy our relationships with one another and with God, can eat away, corrode a community. One heart and soul, generous, joyful hearts. And with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. That's what our faith is about. Jesus is risen now. Not was risen, did, not only did happen, but is risen now. He is our Lord now. And he most effectively comes to us, touches us, manifests himself in the kind of epiphany of word and sacrament. When he speaks to us in the words of sacred scripture and when he comes to us in the Holy Eucharist, it is our risen savior. The apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. It might be nice if we, nice again, that's a foolish word, might be fruitful spiritually if our culture imitated other cultures which are more deeply rooted. Sometimes when people greet one another in some cultures that are more deeply rooted in Christ, they say, Christ is risen. And the reply is, he is truly risen. Or praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. That might be a secret sign among the disciples. Better than high. There's something deep in there. And at least we should think of that. There was not anyone needy among them. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and distribution was made to each as any had need. The church gets a lot of criticism. Some of it merited from the sins of its members. But there's no organization in the world that is as effective in doing this as the church. And we are right here over the tomb of Michael Power and of the four Loretto sisters who gave their whole life to help people the way we're talking about in this passage from the Acts of the Apostles. They literally gave their life to reach out and care for the needy, the refugees, the oppressed, the sick. That's why there's a hospital across the street from here called St. Michael's, founded by the St. Joseph sisters, patron St. Michael. The Loretto sisters were also doing education, caring for the needy, 
children, and Michael Power, the bishop, gave his life caring for the needy. That's woven into who we are. And the two buildings, in a sense, that represent our saintly first bishop and those who were much like him as well, are this cathedral in which we express the glory of the Lord and we come before him in awe and wonder. And a hospital which represents the nitty-gritty caring for people, not just to sort of to be kindly, but because of Christ Jesus our Lord. Catholic health care is not just sort of good or nice or whatever. It's there because of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord and those who imitate Christ by giving their life totally and seeing in other people from the first moment of conception to natural death the face of Christ with reverence as we show the supreme reverence to our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament, we show reverence as well, in another way, to one another. And so did the early Christians. That reverence is at the heart of why we have such a concern when this is, when people are treated like things. And you've heard what's happening across the border, but we shouldn't point fingers over there. It's pretty close in our own community, where you have one state where it's actually a powerful political leader proposed sort of having a baby keep it comfortable until they decide whether it's going to be killed. The little child. And another state, very close, just across the lake, where little children are killed right up to birth. I mean, can you imagine? And so, but we shouldn't point fingers that way. We should look and wonder about our own country, where pretty well everything has been approved. Euthanasia, the cold hand of euthanasia is spreading. It's, it's getting a bigger grip now. The, you know, they're going to do revising of the bill that went through Parliament to sort of, first you slip euthanasia in. The way you do it, in the diabolical plan, is you put all kinds of um, safeguards around it. So hardly anyone you think is ever going to have the needle slipped in, you know? It's very rare, but it's not. And then after a while, you snap off the safeguards and away we go. Remember there was a talk about abortion being safe, legal, and rare? So this is another world in which we live. And if you ever wonder why I'm encouraging people to pray the prayer to St. Michael after Mass, look around, look around. And then look to the actually apostles for the alternative, for the other way. There was not anyone needy among them, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was surnamed by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field which belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. It doesn't matter how much he got for the field. The point is, and he didn't have to do anything, but this is free will, as St. Peter says to Ananias in a few moments. But it was a generous act of a generous heart, a generous and joyful heart to reach out and help 
his brothers and sisters who are in need. That's a good reason to call him son of encouragement. And later on in the Acts of the Apostles, he appears encouraging those who are in midst of strife within the apostles. But that's the way to be. Those two passages, which I've just read, not just historical about the early church, just way, the way we should be now, making present here the love which is at the heart of the Blessed Trinity. But, but, first word of chapter 5. Sometimes we people can get a little, they, they lie, they want to just, you know, a little bit for me, a little bit for you. Nobody was asked to give anything. It's free if you wanted to do it. But Ananias and Sapphira, they decide they're going to look like they're doing it. Here, apostles, here we have sold the field like Barnabas. Here for the needy. But they mean well, they sneak away a little bit and a little bit, they take a cut for themselves and lie about it, which is the main problem they have is they lie about it. They give their hypocrites, they're giving a false thing. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So nobody had to do this. It was totally voluntary. How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him off and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of those that have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and died. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. I think we can understand why. Um, well, there we are. It's that in the midst of this world that is described in the Acts of the Apostles, there are people who are lying and greedy and trying to be hypocritical and everything else. And... Um, it's part of the experience of the church. The reality of evil or of selfishness in minor or great ways is woven through our experience on this earth. There is no, we're not in the heavenly Jerusalem yet. We're on our way, but we're not there yet. And so we're reminded of that right in the middle of the Acts of the Apostles. And now many signs and wonders were done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together at Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but people held them in high honor. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and of women. The church 
is holy and the church is made of sinners. We're called to be saints, every one of us, but right from Judas on down to Ananias and Sapphira and everywhere in between, we see the flick of the serpent's tail. And as the Lord said, says in the John's Gospel, right after the Lord had washed the feet of Judas, literally got down and washed the feet of Judas, and then Judas left and it was night. And so there is that struggle. And why is it that way? Why are we not just whisked off into the New Jerusalem right away? Even the Acts of the Apostles, which seems to be almost the glory days of the church. Nope, there are no glory days in the church. It's a, it's a struggle all the time. So that maybe, I don't know why, maybe it is so that we may come to trust in the Lord more and less in other people being the ones we totally depend on. Jesus is our Lord and we must serve him faithfully and live a repentant life. When they ask after hearing Peter's first talk after Pentecost, what shall we do? He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's at that point that this passage begins. So we pray that we may have that humility and repentant spirit, but be filled with boldness and joy. Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit is given to us, and we are to live in that joyful, glorious experience of God's mercy, filled with awe and his majesty, and conscious of the fact that we can be petty and narrow and lying and hypocritical, like Ananias and Sapphira. But that's not what we're called to be. We're called to something more. So those who received the word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they held steadfastly to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now the company of those who believed were at one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not anyone needy among them. For as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and distribution was made to each as any had need. 
Thus Joseph, who was surnamed by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field which belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of those that have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and died. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high honor. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and pallets. And as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> 